This afternoon I preach through the Word of God as it is summarized and confessed by the church in Lord's Day 14. I was working thematically with groups of Lord's Days and as I came to Lord's Day 14 and 15 and thought of Good Friday that was coming soon and Easter, thought it would be beneficial to slow down a little bit. So Lord's Day 14, page 528 in the Book of Praise, if you'd like to read along. What do you confess when you say, He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, the eternal Son of God, who is and remains true and eternal God, took upon himself true human nature from the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary through the working of the Holy Spirit. Thus he is also the true seed of David, and like his brothers in every respect, yet without sin. What benefit do you receive from the holy conception and birth of Christ? He is our mediator, and with his innocence and perfect holiness, covers in the sight of God my sin in which I was conceived and born. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, when someone comes to visit you, your feelings toward the visitor depend a lot on where he or she came from and why they came. Maybe Dave and Ashley even have out-of-town guests and they will notice the distance that someone might travel for a time of celebration. It happens at weddings as well. We, it's always fun when you travel a bit of a distance for a wedding and then you get that moment of special recognition, the, the list of out-of-town guests when you can stand up and, and wave to everybody and everybody can see how eager you were to be there, that you went through all that inconvenience and cost the journey so that you could be there. It really shows that you wanted to be there. The same is true of people who leave a comfortable life of wealth to spend time in places where there is poverty or maybe working in the slums of a developing country. We look at that and we see that those people who give up wealth ease of life, to enter into hardship, into poverty, into danger, that transition testifies to the, the sincerity of their love. Even on a, on a smaller scale, when you stop in to visit a friend on a Saturday afternoon and he's relaxing on his couch and he takes the time to get off his couch and come out and, and help you with something that you're, you're busy with, you appreciate what they have left, and the sacrifices they've made to be with you. We know that self-sacrificial love is, well, sacrificial. And we are touched when other people give up their own comforts to stand beside us in our lives. This afternoon, as I preach to you the gospel of the humiliation of Jesus Christ, it's, we're going to focus on what it was that Jesus Christ left behind in order to come to the earth. When we think about where the Son of God was before he entered Mary's womb through the working of the Holy Spirit, what he gave up 
and what he came to, for all for our salvation. We're overwhelmed by his deliberate, his focused, his self-sacrificial love. And then we say, for us? For us. I preach you the gospel of the incarnation of the Son of God under this theme. The Son of God came down from heaven to save sinners. We take the three points from John 16, verse 28. He came from heavenly glory with his Father. He came into the world to glorify the Father. And then he overcame the world to carry us to the Father. We confess that very clearly the Son of God is and remains true and eternal God. He was together with the Father and the Holy Spirit before the world existed. Genesis 1 verse 1 tells us that God existed before time began. And then he created the world. And we read in Scripture that the Spirit of God was there hovering over the face of the waters in Genesis 1 verse 2. And in John 1, we read that all things were made through the Son of God, who is called the Word. The Son of God existed with his eternal Father and the eternal Spirit before he took on human nature from the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary. In his prayer, John 17, the Lord describes this time before his incarnation, before he came into the flesh and was born. He describes that time as being in his Father's presence with glory. Verse 5 of John 17. Being in his Father's presence, the glory. Well, we don't know exactly what this glory was. Many believe that our Lord Jesus was talking about the eternal covenant and love between the three persons of the Trinity that he also refers to in the the later verses of that same chapter in his prayer. Already in Genesis 1, verse 26, we read that God planned to make man before he actually created them male and female. And so we read in Genesis 1, verse 6, the the call to take this action to to make man, it's worded in the plural. We read, let us Make man in our own image. It it points to the agreement of the three persons of the Trinity. All three persons agreed, for they were all one and the same eternal God. The Son of God was there with the Father and the Spirit when the Lord created people to inhabit the world that he had made, existing as one divine substance, three distinct persons with the universe under their feet as this harmonious orchestra that is created to bring eternal glory and praise. The Son of God knew the fullness of glory. He was there. And the glory that the Son of God had in the presence of the Father while he was in heaven was further experienced in the decision to save fallen man, to extend his grace to the world. The Son of God was also there with the Father and the Spirit 
when Adam and Eve sinned. And the one true Lord God said in Genesis 3, verse 21, as he, as he looked at what had happened, what man had done, he said, now the man has become like one of us. In the plural again, knowing good and evil. The Son of God was there when it became clear that the Lord God needed to intervene if he wanted to restore creation to its original purpose. And we rejoice to see that's exactly what the Lord decided to do. In John chapters 15 to 17, our Lord Jesus uses language that points to a plan, to a schedule that had been made with tasks and roles that are given to every person of the Trinity so that God might save the children he had elected, save them in time, in history. You can see that in John 17, verse 2. He says to his father, the, the hour has come. The time has come. You can see the, the language of a schedule, of a plan. And then in, in verse 4, John 17, verse 4, he's, he talks about accomplishing the work the Father had given him to do. He also shows that his work, our Lord Jesus' work, is just a part of the whole when he says in John 15, verse 26, that after him a helper would come, the Holy Spirit. He talks about that again in John 16, verse 7. He says, if I did not go away, then the helper will not come to you. And so you see the, the glory of the triune God, the, the glory of the Son of God before he came into the flesh, also in this plan to save the fallen world. And so when the Lord Jesus was on the earth in his flesh and walking around among fellow human beings, fallen human beings, he walked around knowing that he had come from the Father, John 6, verse 38, when you walked in today, you, you saw the text displayed on the wall. Jesus stated it plainly. He told people. He said, for I have come down from heaven, and not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And you could see that Psalm 40 that we sang together in the background there. He knew where he had come from. He told the Pharisees that he existed before Abraham was born. John 8, verse 58. We can even ask and maybe wonder, was he perhaps even thinking about how he appeared to Hagar as the angel of the Lord? Many see that as, as the, the Christ before he came into the flesh. He knew that he had existed before he took on human flesh. And he repeatedly explained that he was speaking the words his father had given to him. John 8, verse 36, he, he even says, he's passing on what he had seen with my father. Philippians 2, verses 6 to 8, explain clearly that in order to take the form of a servant and to be born in the likeness of men, Jesus Christ needed to leave heavenly glory and consider equality with God something, and not consider equality with God something to be grasped. 
that glory he had with the Father before he came into the earth, something we need to remember when we look at his incarnation, why it's such an amazing part of our confession. You see, our Lord Jesus didn't just cut short a vacation in Mexico to make sure that he could be here for a birthday party or a wedding. He didn't just leave a rich neighborhood in Edmonton to show mercy to people in a developing country. He came from the glory that he had in the presence of his Father, eternal glory. That, my dear brothers and sisters, that is true self-sacrificial love. Although he might have selfishly remained in his place and lacked nothing for all eternity. He was God. He was our Lord. And he came down to earth. And we can be sure when we think of the incarnation that we are seeing a picture of who our God is, the fullness of our God, which is the fullness of love. We praise the Lord for leaving the glory of heaven. Like we sang hymn three, stanza three last week. We sang, you, Lord, are God, the Father's everlasting Son, yet you did not despise the virgin's womb, O Savior, when you came from on high to free mankind forever. We see this in our second point, that he came into the world to glorify his Father. The greatness of the incarnation, that it's a reason for joy. It's amplified not only when we consider the glory that he left, but also when we remember the mess of rebellion that he came to. John 1 verses 9 to 11 says it so clearly. I'll read it to you. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. He glorified the Father on earth by manifesting his love to us while we were yet sinners. And the description of Jesus' birth that you can read about in the Gospels, Matthew and in Luke, they highlight how much he humbled himself. Though the light of the angels of heaven who were announcing his birth filled the shepherds in the field with, with fear, the Son of God no longer was among that heavenly glory. He was found in a manger. Though he was creator, he was king of the universe that he had made to glorify him. His family was mere subjects of Roman occupying forces who forced the family to travel away from their home because of a census. Though the Magi came from the east 
with gifts for a king, and they looked for him in the palace of the land. They did not find him in the palace. They had to go to a little insignificant town. The love of the Son of God is not just manifest in the fact that he left heaven behind, but also in his willingness to accomplish this bitter, awful task on the earth for those who did not even want to receive him. What did our Lord Jesus come to? The Holy Spirit tells us in John 3 that though the Son of God came into the world as a light, people loved darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. John 3 verse 19. The world did not even want a Savior. The world did not want to be set free from the condemnation of God and the eternal suffering that they deserved for their sins because they, they loved their sins. The Son of God who left the glory of his Father came down to see that. The parable of the tenants that you can read in Matthew 21, verses 33 and following. That parable shows, and the Lord Jesus says it in such a clear way, that even the leaders of the covenant people of God, who did not want to submit to God's word, they killed God's own son. There was no room for him in the inn, but they found room on the cross. And the very incarnation that was necessary to save God's people, that very coming into the flesh made him odious to the Jewish people, made, him, made the Jewish people hate him. So that we read, the stone the builders rejected fell on them to crush them. That's why Jesus' incarnation is considered to be a part of his humiliation. Not because being in the flesh is, a, is something that's humiliating, but because he left the glory of heaven to come to a place that was not pleasant for the Savior who had come to rescue the world. Even if people were not opposed to Jesus, we can read about that too in the gospel. Many people were curiously following him to see what, what, it, was, what it was all about. They saw the miracles. Many supported him in his ministry like his disciples and, and also we read about the many women who supported him in his needs. They were ashamed of his suffering and the Lord Jesus even tells him in John 16 verse 32 hours coming when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. They fled in the hour of persecution they didn't want him to die. They, they said, never, Lord. They, they didn't understand, even his friends. And yet, as we confess, without the incarnation, the coming into the flesh of the Son of God, we would still be in our sins and under the condemnation of God. If he had not come, 
we would not have a perfect mediator who could cover the sins in which we were conceived and born. We would not have been able to put clear water on Sydney's head. And we would have to, to come up and demand her to pay for her sins with her own life. If the Savior had not come, she would not have a human advocate, a defense lawyer, to use common language, a human advocate in heaven before the Father. She would not have one who could say to the Father, I have died for her sins, for the sins of the whole world, for all who believe in me. And then we can see why our Lord Jesus left the glory of the Father. It was not for his own comfort. It was not so that he could be applauded and congratulated and so that he could feel good that he made the journey. It was because he loved the dear children, his dear children, with whom his Father had established an eternal covenant of grace. He loves these children. He loves Sidney even more than Dave and Ashley loved Sidney and Cooper. He loved them so much that he was willing to be apart from the Father so that he, the Son of God, even had to come to the point of praying to his Father in heaven, praying for the day when he could once again be restored to glory in his presence. This is how the Son glorifies the Father on earth. He speaks about that in John 17, verse 4. He manifests the love of the triune God for his children. That love that he, he talked to us about also in John 16. He says, I don't have to ask the Father on your behalf. Verse 27, 16, 27. For the Father himself loves you. Look at me, I'm here. Look at his love. We belong to God. We are a part of his plan. We're not just an experiment. The triune God in glory said, let's try this out. Let's make some people on the earth to glorify us. But then when it failed, whatever, we don't need that. It's not like a, an experiment that gets tossed aside when it's ugly, like the, the famous Frankenstein. Even in our sins and even in our ugliness, the Lord looks upon us still as his children. He shows his love that he sent his son to save sinners. His glory after the creation of the world includes the praise and the worship of his church. And so the, the triune God focused his attention on us, revealed his love to us in his son, and he leads us in this love by his Holy Spirit. That's why we're, we're here today to praise him, to confess our faith in him, to glorify him. And that glory is a part of the plan that God has given to each of us. He overcame the world to carry us to the Father. And in the passage we read in John, 
The Lord Jesus talks about his time on earth like someone might talk about a visit. Verse 28, he came from the Father, he has come into the world, and then he will leave the world and return to the Father. It's like a visit. But there has never been, nor will there ever be, a visit that is more important than the visit that the Son of God made to the earth. He came as the eternal Son of God. He left as the eternal Son of God and the sinless Son of Mary. He entered a rebellious, sinful, condemned world that was under the severe weight of the the wrath of God. He left an empty cross, a paid debt, a grave that had been busted open, a temple curtain that had been ripped and way open into the eternal presence of God for anyone who believes in him. He came down into the world alone to save a people who did not want him. And he returned into glory with an immense body of believers connected to him by true faith and made worthy of sharing in eternal glory. He went into heaven to prepare a place for everyone who believes in him. And anyone who believes in him can be certain that as surely as our Lord Jesus Christ has been glorified, so we will be glorified. And here is where we recognize the importance of the incarnation of the Son of God, that visit. His incarnation is not limited to the temporary events of his birth and his death. Jesus didn't take on human flesh only so that he could die on a cross. That was an important, necessary first step. But he still has a human nature. And our Lord Jesus rose from the dead in his glorified body, and he continues to have a human nature there in the presence of his Father. His incarnation continues to have benefits for us today. The gospel message is, that he is our mediator, our advocate that continually intercedes before the Father. That's why it's so beautiful that he describes himself as the gate or the doorway. The living way opened up into the glory, standing in the presence with his Father. He's, He's holding the way open through him He calls us to share in that glory. Because of his incarnation, the Son of God makes it possible for heaven to be packed full with the the multitudes of believers from every tribe and language and nation in the world. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And everyone who believes in him comes into the presence of his Father. The Lord Jesus took on human flesh so that he could 
pass through the shame and the humiliation and then into glory. And then he looks down at us and he tells us in his word. He tells us that we too have sins, weaknesses. We need to, and we too will work through those sins and weaknesses so that we may be lifted up to glory with him. Buried with him in his death and raised with him to new life. We may even turn away from the Lord for some time. Look at his very own disciples. Maybe there are some here today who have turned away from the Lord, who have turned their back on the fellowship. But the Lord promised that he is there, he has opened the way in his Son. We, we may have peace when we repent before him. John 16, verse 33, goes on to promise, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. The Son of God has overcome the world. He keeps it open. He keeps the way open into heavenly glory. He is Jesus Christ. He is our Lord. And in him we can have peace with God and with our neighbor even after we have sinned against him. That's the promise of the gospel. The promise of the gospel that we offer to the world. If you're a guest here this, this afternoon, that's the, the promise of the gospel that we proclaim, that we love, that we believe. And the Lord Jesus calls us to come, to repent, to believe that he came from the Father. And his covenant children, covenant children who know of the Lord, a lot like Pharisees in Jesus' day know who the Lord is. They know about the Lord, but do not trust him to love him enough to, to want to obey and follow him. They, they want to keep doing their own thing. The Lord Jesus calls. I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no salvation outside of me. That is why I came into the world. That is why I left the glory of the presence of God. And those who believe in him can know that our only mediator, Jesus Christ, he covers our sins in the sight of God. He is in heaven interceding for, the, for us before the Father. He is there in the flesh as the head of his church, which is his body. He has been given authority. He tells us he's been given authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all who believe in him. And then the Lord Jesus promises us so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you because he loves you. Because you have loved him and have believed, says our Lord that I have come from God. The Lord Jesus has overcome the world. And he allows us to share in his victory. Revelation 3, verse 21. 
He says, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on the throne. Amen.